Welcome to PR for Humans, the podcast for interesting communicators and people who are interested in communications. And today I'm delighted to welcome Kevin Murray. Kevin, hello. Good morning. Kevin, you've had a, a fascinating and varied career in all sorts of different types of communications, from being a you know, crime reporter in, in South Africa to, to working in, in, in big in-house jobs like Director of Communications at British Airways to running agencies and in the last few years writing some fantastic books about leadership and in particular leadership communications, starting with The Language of Leaders, then we had Communicate to Inspire and People with Purpose, three excellent books I've got here here on my Kindle app to prove that I've <laughs> downloaded them and read and read them. Yes, I have read them. Um, so, K- K- Kevin, welcome, and it's great to have you on the podcast because reading your books, I I get a feeling that you're, you know, that we are have a shared approach to communication. We're soulmates. Well, maybe we, we'll, <laughs> we will be by the end of the podcast, maybe, but uh, we kind of see the world through stories, yeah, and that's important to you. Very. Very. In fact, you know, many people think about their values in life, and I have storytelling as a value mm. um, because it's such a strong part of the way I see the world. I think we are hardwired to tell and hear stories. And so um, I think some of the most effective leadership I've ever seen has sometimes been through stories. Uh, and as a journalist, I started my life finding and telling stories. Um, and in a way, now, 45 years later, I'm still finding and telling uh, great stories that move people, that cause them to see the world differently, that cause them to perhaps behave in better ways. So I think stories are a, a medium for change and one of the most effective communication tools any leader ever possibly has, but are so underused and so undervalued. Which is strange. And, and- Coming from a journalist background, spending 18 years in journalism myself, storytelling seemed to me to be very important and a very natural thing to, to be trying to do to reach an audience. And yet when I got into – there was one meeting when I crossed over into corporate communication, sitting down around with some senior people, and the word story came up. And somebody said, oh, we don't want to use that word because that makes it seem like it's kind of fictional or made up. It makes us uncomfortable. So let's not talk about stories too much. Is that something that you've encountered? Yes. uh, When I interviewed all the CEOs that I spoke to for the language of leaders, uh, this issue of storytelling came up, but quite a few of those leaders were sensitive about the word stories, and they preferred to use words like anecdotes or case studies, Or, but in reality they were talking about stories. Uh, So yes, some people have, I think, an unwarranted um, concern about the word stories, but you know, get with it life is (laughs) really simple and they are stories and stories are hugely powerful yes and and you know stories are everywhere aren't they you look you look at everyone in the world everyone out there has a story Mm. and all those stories have some kind of value is is my is my belief and i think the challenge in the world of of business is to convince people that there are stories and some of the people very senior people say to me but I, i don't really have any stories i just sort of show up and do my job and i you know, do the accounts, and then I do this, and I do that, and they don't see the world through stories. So, how do you get them to do that? Um, I do a lot of story telling coaching with the leaders I work with, and mm. I do. They do get it eventually because what they have to understand is that almost everything that happens to them can be a story. 
um, and they don't see the world that way. It's a very factually based world for them, um, logical, coherent. And stories are emotional and they're intangible and yet so powerful. So I get them to think about what kind of stories they need to be on the lookout for that they can then use and I then help them to polish them and tell them well and have a purpose behind the story because there's no point in telling a story in a business context unless it has a purpose. Yes. What are you trying to achieve with the story? Because <laughs> otherwise I'll just entertain you for hours and get nowhere. So purposeful stories is what I concentrate on. And, th and that, that word purpose or you know mission or belief or you know what do you care about there's lots of different ways to describe it mm. but you know you believe and I believe that that is at the heart of of good communication you, you you've, you've got to stand up on that conference platform or sit down in that media interview and actually believe in something and be able to convey that to people exactly well you're, you're moving into the territory of of purpose and all the work I've done around understanding purpose is that people who do have purpose or a sense of purpose live longer or more passionate, suffer less illness, um, less uh, psychotic problems, yeah. and have more resilience and more optimism. So purpose is transformative, but it, purpose is a word that so many people have such different meanings for. Mm. Uh, and when I talk about purpose, I'm talking about what is it that you do why do you exist? Explained in a way that is about a benefit to others, not mm. a benefit to yourself. Mm. Um, so I would say I exist now to help leaders be more effective. And um, in doing that, I can help lots of employees have better jobs by creating better leaders. Yes. And that's my purpose. So how would other people describe their purpose? And then going back to your point about storytelling, how would they tell stories that help to bring that to life and create better leaders uh, everywhere else? That would be the point of storytelling in that context. And yeah, and p purpose is an interesting one. And and, and you know, for some people, I think it's got horribly mixed up with um, sort of corporate social responsibility in some in some areas, and and people feeling that purpose needs to be uh, we're cutting carbon emissions or you know we're not uh, using plastic cups, and that may that may well be part of it, but it. It doesn't have to be, um, you know, saving the world, good for the... It just it, it can be much, much simpler than that. And yes. I think that's what takes a bit of explaining is that... And, and I love the emphasis you put on, on, on helping someone. And yeah. it doesn't have to be a charity cause no. or, you know, planting trees or something. It just has to be very simple. We, we are doing something that's not just for ourselves, yes. right? And that's, yes. um, that's beautifully simple when it's explained like that. Well, I think, yes, but... So you're you're talking now about the whole area of social responsibility, which I think most companies in business today absolutely have to focus on, but it's not the only reason they exist. None of them could do that. None of them could indulge in social responsibility activities unless, first of all, they made a profit. Without profit, they can do nothing else. So the first order of business is make a profit by making somebody happy somewhere. Um, and when you express your purpose as the thing we do to make you a customer happy, um, all my research says that companies that do that actually make more money. And when you make more money and you're more influential, you can actually do more good. So I think um, doing good as a company is, of course, increasingly necessary in today's world. 
but it's not the only reason you exist. Um, and I think, therefore, don't fall into the trap of trying to express your purpose as something about social responsibility when uh, you're actually in business to make money. What, what's your raison d'etre? Why do you exist to serve others? What help do you bring them? And then what other things do you do to be a responsible company is the way I would put it. So, uh, you know, we get drawn into claptrap sometimes, which I think we should avoid, and just being plain and simple and speaking with clarity and passion. And and that's another thing that I think a lot of leaders are uncomfortable with is the idea of being passionate. Mm. Um, and stories, if you think about them, stories are about emotion. They're about moving people's hearts and uh, with that kind of passion you are able to influence people so how can you want other people to be passionate about what you're doing if you're not passionate yourself and one way to be passionate is to tell more stories and the emotion is is emotion is a very interesting word in 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 business and and in leadership and i i completely agree with you i i, I wonder whether you think that being more emotional or having more emotional intelligence is something that you can you can teach somebody or something that you can uh, make them aware if they're seemingly lacking in emotion. I mean, my, my belief is that we're all emotional creatures as human beings, and, mm. and, and it's just a case of kind of chipping away at, at the armor sometimes and getting to the person inside. Mm. But what's your experience? I mean, do, do you think that some people are just sort of lacking a, that kind of emotional connection and that... That's, and as a result, they will never be good leaders? Or I think there are some people, but very few, who are um, almost psychopaths in the sense of they have no sense of empathy for other people. Um, I'm not saying they're serial killers, but I am saying they uh, lack that ability to identify with other people's emotions. But they are very few and far between so every one of us really can be more uh, empathetic and um, all of my research says that the one factor that brings out higher performance from people is when you make them feel good about themselves when you make them think that they are extraordinary that they can achieve more than they thought they could that they're valued that they're an important member of the team that their ideas are valued you'll get more out of those people. And, and that is pure emotional territory. Um, so the single most important thing any manager can do is make members of their team feel good about themselves, feel important. And that's the territory of empathy. And what that means is to do that, you've got to be a better listener. You've got to be empathetic. You've got to be more audience-centric. You've got to speak to them in a way that is respectful you've got to listen to them loudly mm. you've got to do all these things and yes we can all be trained to be much more um, emotionally intelligent so I, I think you some people are naturally uh, have very high degrees of EQ but we can all with a little bit of training learn the skills of EQ and become um, much better as emotional leaders and I love I love the emphasis that you put on on listening in communication. And you know, so many people will assume that communication means transmit yeah. uh, information, whether that's from a platform or a media interview or a podcast, or whatever. But 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 the quality of of the conversation and and good conversation is about listening to the person mm. you're you're sitting mm. across from. And 
and, and that is such a such an important point that I, that I really think um, it's worth emphasizing. I mean, how, how did you how did you come round to that, that that view or that position? Was it something that you always knew, or was it, were there any particular no. experiences that you had? That you well, I mean, like like you, I I was a journalist, so everything was about getting the story and then finding a way to broadcast it and and get it out there, which was whether it was in print or on TV or on, on the air or on radio, it was transmit. And so everything that I grew up with was about one-way communication, yeah. send the message. Uh, and I became very skilled at it. Um, but I realized when I moved into corporate life, really, that actually just being a skilled transmitter was never going to get you anywhere. Um, and the the better a listener you became, the more you indulged in intelligent conversations with people, the more respect you showed them, the more you got out of them. Uh, and every leader's role is to get the very best out of members of their team. Um, and only through the team can they get anything done. So it makes perfect logical sense to be more emotional about achieving your goals, if you could put that juxtaposition together for me. Because... If you um, have a huge task, an impossible goal, what you require is the commitment of each and every member of your team to doing it. Uh, and it's that commitment of individuals that makes a team. A team doesn't function unless every person is committed, in, every individual is committed in the team. And your job as a leader is to get that commitment. Um, and you can only do it um, by paying close attention to those individuals and that means sometimes giving them a damn good listening to because <laughs> <laughs> damn good listening. That's to. what yeah, will get like you that. there. And and it, and it it changes our um our perception of, of what what it means to be a, a leader as well. And maybe this has been changing in in recent years. You know, partly because of the, of, of social media and and just the, the transparency of organisations and, and and so on. That you, the, the idea of there's a perfect specimen who who stands up in front of the company or the group and delivers a, a brilliant speech and is very charismatic mm. and mm. looks the part mm. and, and doesn't make any mistakes. Mm. That's actually not really what we're what we're talking about here, is it? Well, I'm glad you used that word charisma because uh, it's a subject that comes up over and over again when I'm out there talking with groups of leaders and managers, which is how can I be a more charismatic leader? But when they say it, they have in mind, you know, somebody like John F. Kennedy or Clinton or, or somebody yeah. who has huge presence on a stage or on a platform. And that's not actually what the meaning of charisma is. Charisma is all about people who uh, charisma is about inspiring other people. That's what charisma means, the ability to inspire other people. Mm. And so uh, charisma is in, in many ways more about listening and um, audience centricity and empathy than it is about having a huge presence that dominates others and so I think we've got the wrong picture in our minds when we think about being charismatic but the other thing just to touch on there is this idea when I ask I've done a lot of work on listening now and I do listening coaching and um, when I speak to managers about how good a listener they think they are they all think they're very good listeners um, and I test them, I ask them to mark themselves 0 to 10 on listening ability, and I don't think I've been anywhere where they've given themselves less than 8 or 9 out of 10 <laughs> for listening. But if you talk to employees, they would only give 3 or 4 out of 10 to their bosses on their listening skills. So 
the question is, what's that gap about? Why does a manager think they're really good, and why do employees think they're really bad? It, it, it goes to the heart of the whole issue of employee engagement. A manager thinks, I'm a good listener because I can comprehend quickly. Um, and at that level, they are correct. They comprehend quickly, and therefore they're a good comprehender, but mm. not a good listener. Because to the employee, the listening issue is about, how do you make me feel when you listen to what I've got to say? Do I feel like I've been listened to? And that's where every single manager falls down because they get the, they get the point really quickly, so they interrupt, or they're looking away when the person's talking. They're sending all kinds of signals which say, say they're no longer engaged <laughs> yeah. with the listener. Or they finish sentences for them, or they um, immediately provide solutions to the challenges that the person has posed. And if you... If you leave somebody at the end of a listening session feeling frustrated, even though you've got the point, you're not a good listener because uh, half the point of listening is how you make the other person feel. Um, and if they go away thinking, yeah, I've been understood, I've been heard, I've been valued, and he may not agree with me, but he paid attention, um, you'll have a different result, completely different result. A lot of managers tend to think that they don't like the idea of listening because that means they're going to have to do something about what they've been told. <laughs> uh, and that's, no, manager's job is to make decisions, but not to the exclusion of the concerns of other people. Um, and so respecting them means at least responding to them, if not necessarily always agreeing with them. Um, so I think we just have the wrong concept of what good listening is about. Yeah, oh God, that, that, is, that is fascinating, and I um, I think I'm a good listener, um, but I don't I, I I wouldn't dare to do your your tests. I don't think because I, I think um, as a journalist, and particularly as a broadcaster, my my mistake would often be, and I've probably done it in the last ten minutes, to to interrupt people before they've quite finished their thought <laughs> and to pile in with my own thoughts, uh, rephrasing what they've said, uh, rather than actually let them. Let their thinking run its course, mm. and to make the person feel like they're 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 interesting and valued and respected, which is another important word that comes through very strongly in your in in your work. You've you've just got to got to bite your tongue, I guess, for a bit, and it's something that <laughs> you know consultants are often not very good at because they charge no. into the room saying you got to do this, 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 yeah. this, and this. Well, they want to give advice, and 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 you, I think, are more more of a coach as well as a consultant but and then the coaching mindset is yeah. is the listening mindset isn't it yes try and listen beyond the words i mean as a journalist your job is to get to the point quickly and provide clarity quickly so the way you listen is very functional it's about doing your job in the way you need to do the job so you know don't beat yourself up for that but in the world of leading teams um while you need to get to the point quickly, you can't leave people feeling bruised and alienated while you get there. Uh, and so how they leave the room, how they feel when they leave the room, is is the most important thing about listening. But of course, listening is also about being empathetic, not not sympathetic, but empathetic, understanding their point of view, being able to relate to how they feel, um, understanding what their concerns are. Because another thing I know is that you can't really get a message through to people until you first address the concerns that are top of their minds. 
and until and unless you've addressed those concerns, they won't hear a word you're saying. Mm. Um, and they'll be looking for the answer to the concern they've got. And everything else will be filtered away. Um, and so you could be the best transmitter in the world and not have communicated a single thing effectively. Yes. And this, this is true on the one-to-one level, clearly. And I, and I think it's also true on the, the, the one-to-many communication or one-to-millions communication and the the point that you make um, in I think your um, your middle book communicate to inspire mm-hmm. is about um, obsessing about audiences. In fact, I think you make that in all your books, isn't mm. it? That, that, it, that absolute obsession with who are you trying to reach, yeah. and not just like you know blurt something out at them, um, but change them in some way mm. you know change the way they that they think how they feel or what they do mm. as a result of communication mm. uh with them and i think that absolute abs- obsession with the audience must be at the heart of good communications and good and good pr do, do, do you think you, you know, spend a long time in in the in the pr and comms world uh, kevin do you do you think that um, comms people are doing that enough? Do you think they're thinking enough about audiences in the way that they construct their their campaigns? I think the really good campaigns do that incredibly well. Um, so I think you get some fantastic sophistication around um, audience understanding from some of the best campaigns. But I think you also get a lot of really crude campaigns which simply want to transmit an idea without really understanding who it's aimed at um, in the hope that it will reach the few that it matters to and disregard the rest. Um, so I think, that, you know, so, so many different mm. uh, levels of sophistication and quality in our comms today, but there are some really good people who really understand their audiences to the finest degree, and I think that's great. And in a modern world where you have so much data available, so much information about the audiences it's almost a crime to not delve into it and try to understand more about who really you're talking to because you have the means now uh, at not vast expense to find out so much more and to be therefore so much more effective in the way you communicate but even if you just stop for a moment and apply a little common uh, sense and work with a few people to try and anticipate how might this audience feel about these things? How might they be reacting? What might they be thinking? Most of us really will get there quite quickly because a lot of how people might react emotionally to situations is common sense when you think about it. Um, and so we can anticipate and understand audiences um, far more effectively than I think we give ourselves time to. So the issue for me is how much time do you spend thinking about your audience, thinking about what might be on their minds, thinking about where are their heads and hearts at, and therefore, how do I need to connect with them? Because no communication can effectively take place until you connect. If you don't connect, you're just transmitting something at someone and you you have no idea whether or not the message will land or have an impact. And if you think about a manager's role, you use the word behavior there, which I like, because a manager's role is to change behaviors. We need to do something better or more effectively or more efficiently or faster or differently. Those are all behaviors. And as a manager, what we're trying to do is influence the behaviors of the team that follows us. And you can't change people's behaviors unless you 
are in some ways an amateur psychologist because it's all about people's attitudes and concerns and um, character types. And if you don't understand that and you can't work with that, then go and do something else. <laughs> yes, I know. I, I agree. And in that context, I mean, I, I talk a lot about um, you know PR for humans, which is the title mm. of my book. And 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 I think the the human element is is has always been critical in in storytelling. I mean, the best stories are about people; yeah. uh, they're not actually about organisations. And I, for me, the challenge is often um, when you're presented with corporate communications. How do you bring some humanity into it? Mm. And that may be the CEO uh, stepping forward and becoming a real person mm. uh, rather than just an anonymous person. It may be that you find human stories within the business of people mm. who are doing interesting things. But it's also that you've got an audience of human beings out there and yes. you need to connect yes. with them. Yes. Um, and and, and it, it was just my observation and why I, I, I wrote the book that still, even now, even though a lot of this is common sense, as you say, the humanity get, it goes missing somewhere yes. along. And, and we, we get presented with, with lists or grids or stakeholder engagement maps. Mm. Or th- and hang on a sec, folks. <laughs> uh, what's, what's the story here that's going to connect people with people? Yes. Um, is that your experience? Yes, um, so fundamentally my experience. Um, so I often use a very human story to illustrate the point you're making. And I talk about the most important person in my life, my wife, who I've been married to for over 40 years. And I, in, in the teamwork sessions I do, I often will say to those people, imagine a situation in which I walk into my house and I've dragged mud into the hallway. And now I'm stood there in this uh, pile of mud in the hallway and my wife finds me what she's going to say um she's she's not going to be pleasant and and rightly so and she's going to give me a right grilling and she may say things like you always come in the house with mud in your feet and you never bother to wipe your feet (laughs) and now i have a choice i can be corporate in the way that you've described or i can be human if i'm corporate here's what i'd say i'd say ah but over the last year in fact I've only once ever walked into the house with dirt on my feet, and it didn't cause a problem because when it dried, we were able to brush it up and take it away very soon. Imagine how she's going to react to my corporate response. <laughs> it's not going to be pleasant, yes. whatever. And I think that's what a lot of corporations do. They, they, they turn to facts. They turn to logic. They turn to, and often for legal reasons, turn to um, analyzing in a very logical, analytical way what happened. And they neglect completely the emotional side of the argument and the human touch that you're talking about. And it's only when they address those concerns um, that they're able to make the connection that then enables communication. So I think a lot of our natural corporate response, which is to be factual, to be logical, to be precise, to be correct, um, actually gets in our way often uh, in effectively communicating, in creating that connection, in um, being able to move things forward. <laughs> you don't want to sit forever analyzing who's at fault at something. You want to move to solutions. And um, uh, th- that's what I have a big problem with in most corporate responses. And this is particularly acute sometimes in moments of, of crisis where something's gone seriously wrong. And at that moment when you need maximum empathy, humanity, then that's also the moment of maximum influence of the lawyers and the people who are in the room with the CEO saying, be careful what mm. you say yes, and right. stick to the facts yes. and all this. And, 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 and that can make, make us a small um, 
relatively small situation in, into a, into a full blown crisis. Yes, and I think the issue with lawyers is such that, I mean, they're doing their job and they're doing their job effectively and 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 well informed. So they're right to request that CEOs say what they want them to say. However, it's not either or. I think it's and and. You can do that and you can be empathetic. And the trick is finding how to do both, not to choose either. So um, the point I often make uh, when I'm in those sorts of discussions is the lawyers are representing this company in the courts, and rightly so because the courts can fine you and cost you a lot of money. But um, I'm talking to you from the court of public opinion, and that can cost you even more money. That can cost you your business. That can kill your business. So let's balance this discussion yeah. <laughs> in both those courts yeah. because we don't want to lose the people that we depend on for success. Um, and, and if we are too legal, too cold, we're going to lose the audience we rely on for the future. So I think it's, uh, you know, leadership to me is all about the future. Leadership is about uh, creating a future. Um, management is about getting things right today. Uh, and lawyers are about, you know, what, what went wrong in the past. Mm. So which discussion do you want to be in? Uh, I think as leaders, we always want to be in the one about creating a future, uh, creating solutions moving forward. So that's where I'd want us to be. Yeah, and you hope that's the, the, more, the more positive and optimistic place to be and, and one one of the things I loved and I, I don't know whether you shared this but crossing from journalism which is relentlessly negative death disaster destruction scandal and so on um to 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 comms or PR it's just it's just nice to be on the positive side I, I think it's nice to look at the world through through a positive lens but but and so much of that and is is about setting out this something that looks like a vision mm. and and it always strikes you know when a politician is in trouble or indeed a CEO when they kind of lose the future they mm. can't that you just don't believe that they can see it or take us there or right. you know have a path or anything and um, but the future is a tricky thing to own isn't it because it's, it's so um, well, none of us can predict it and yeah. it's a, it's 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 back to the emotion thing I suppose you know the future is a, is a sort of more of an emotional bet than any kind of hard knowledge of that that could inform a conversation so i, I think um i agree with you I, I i how do you get someone to do the vision thing um is it and i guess that comes back to belief and and, and passion yeah i mean there's either this is a this is a huge subject in almost every leadership team i work in which is how do we create a vision for the future that is compelling the default is to put it into numbers. We want to be 500 million and 30% profit and mm. X number of customers. And the reality is, is that's not actually very inspiring. How do you translate those numbers into a picture of what it's going to look like when those numbers are true? Um, what will we be doing? Where will we be doing it? Why will it matter? How many people will we have a positive impact on? How many people will we need inside the company to do that? And by the way, if we're doing it really well, here are the numbers that would be the, the, the right success measures, but they're not the point themselves. The other way to think about it is to actually do some visioning, which is about futurology. And um, we all know most predictions turn out to be <laughs> incorrect. 
but if you don't have a plan, you're probably going to wind up somewhere else. So you need some kind of plan. You need a sense of direction. And I think that is the real issue, having a sense of direction rather than necessarily a specific destination um, and knowing we're going that way and that way lies the future and that way is a journey and that way we'll bring positive success and here's why we're going that way because this is why it matters. That has a far more imp greater impact on employees and their engagement and their sense of involvement with the company than saying we want to be 500 million by this time because w w why would I engage with that? Leave In fact, there's cold. research to mm. show that it creates cognitive dissonance if you start with the numbers. You need to start with, you know, there's a great book by Simon Sinek saying start with why. Yes. Yeah. And that's exactly the point, and, and managers should get it. That's the point. Yeah, yeah. Um, and what is the state of, of leadership today? Um, you know, of course, there, there, there are good leaders out there um, and leading in lots of different ways and lots of different character types. But are, are we are we facing a, a crisis of, of, of leadership in, in business and in, and in politics? Um and if, if so, uh, I don't think a crisis of leadership. I think we're facing some very significant challenges. Um, you know, the world is changing fast. We're in the midst of the fourth industrial revolution, which is about a fusion of all these technologies, which is accelerating the pace of change, which is connecting the worlds in ways we've never, ever seen before. And I think the pace of change will only accelerate. And in that world, you'll have to have people who are more creative, more collaborative, able to be more agile, learn faster, adapt quicker, um, outperform the marketplace, get used to constant disruption. I mean, these are, these are words that make people nervous. They're not great words, but they are the new reality. So I think leaders are facing all of those challenges at a time when, of course, globally, there are huge uh, mega trends going on, uh, a fracturing of society as we go through uh, regional changes, uh, fragmentation, uh, differing belief systems which emerge stronger than ever and create that fragmentation. Um, however, the market, I think globally, the view is that we're poised for growth, but the challenge is how do you grow in this new, different marketplace? when there's so much disruption going on. And what you see is that leaders are saying, you know what, the only way we can do this is through our own people. We have to focus first on our people in order to then provide our customers with what, with what they want, and then in turn uh, our shareholders with what they want, and then be responsible and have the money to actually do things that make a difference to the planet and to the societies in which we live and operate. Mm. Um, and so I don't think we've got a crisis of leadership. I think there are lots of really, really good leaders out there. But I think they're facing new challenges and they're going to learn, need to learn new skills to cope with it. Yeah, I mean, because when you list some of those challenges and, and the, the level of transparency and the level of scrutiny and mm -hmm. our requirements for um, you know, in, integrity and uh, clarity mm -hmm. and the vision thing and mm -hmm. being a good listener. And, you know, you're, you're just describing... Uh, superhumans aren't we and um which is why it com comes back to i come back to a point that, that you made in, in 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 the book or one of the books about um creating a team of leaders and actually one of the most important requirements is not just one person mm. standing up there mm. it's the person who can create 
lots of leaders in lots of places yes. who can then actually go out and do yes. what they need to do in every any given yes. day. Because otherwise, you're you're asking the impossible for one person to be exactly so brilliant. Well, as you say, not only are we living in a world of far greater transparency, but uh, attached to transparency comes far greater speed. So anything that happens to a company is going to be known in seconds uh, across the globe. And so there's the, there's the issue of how fast is this going to move and how widely is it going to be known uh, as the new norm. And within that world, how do you respond as a company with, with equal speed? Because that's, that's the real issue. And you can't do it if you have a command and control style management, which has to go all the way up the chain and all the way back down again, because you'll just be too slow. So the only way you can do it is to empower people through a sense of vision and purpose and values that help them to understand what is the right decision here? How, how can I make the decision when you, my manager, are not in the room and be sure that you're going to support me for making it? <laughs> Mm. Um, because the other thing that happens is people get paralyzed because they don't know what the right decision is and so they do nothing and in today's world because of the speed you're talking about and the transparency do nothing is not an option uh, you have to learn to move fast and when you have to move fast go back to your values do the human thing do the right thing um, but what is the right thing and that's what um, ha that's why having a purpose and a vision and a set of values that everybody knows, everybody uh, attaches to, everybody has internalized and made their own is so empowering. That's how you create more leaders. Because I love the idea that the leader's job is to create more leaders. Mm. And that's how you create agility. No, I like that as well. And I, and I like the focus on on, on on sort of, you know, what, what was called, it may still be called internal comms. Um, but, but looking at the people within your your business almost kind of first or, or is the absolute priority and and maybe too often people think you know comms is about all about external mm. stuff uh, get, getting out there and telling the world where that may be part of it but the, the priority clearly is to get everyone in the organization really kind of you know believing what you're doing knowing where you stand feeling empowered all these things you've been talking mm. about and 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 that's the best way of, of reaching the customers yes. who are the critical people yeah. who are going to determine exactly the success, right. right? You can't deliver a great service to customers and create customer loyalty and um, get them to advocate your brand or service or product unless they are highly satisfied by every aspect of their interactions with you. And that means every person in your company, every touch point they have must be aligned. and that won't happen if those people are not engaged and or may want to be engaged but don't understand everything uh, and what exactly is required of them. Um, and so by putting your own people first, you're able to then deliver um, truly loyal advocate type customers that every business thrives on. So I think put your own people first is the, is the new motto. Make sure that your own people are engaged. There is now so much evidence to show that companies where employees are highly engaged are better performing companies no matter where in the world you look so you know it's it's an argument that is done and dusted it's it's proven and there's no point arguing it the challenge for me is that almost in every country you go to when you look at the engagement numbers 
there is this uh, block of about 30%, roughly, in almost every country in the world where the employees are not engaged. So that's a third of your work workforce who are potentially toxic and potentially dangerous, at very least likely to give very bad, poor customer service, mm. um, blocking your way forward. And I've seen a lot of studies that show, for example, in the UK, that this is likely to be costing us 20, 25 billion a year in lost productivity and um, GDP. Uh, and more in other superpower, uh, super economies. Um, so the big challenge is, well, how do we drive up that engagement level? That's got to be the first priority. And it's not hard. Mm. This is what I believe. It's just not hard. It's not impossible. You just need, as a manager, to become um, more emotionally intelligent and to understand more about how to be more charismatic. And that doesn't mean standing up on the stage and having massive presence. No. It just means do some basic things uh, which don't require you to learn a lot more, but just learn new skills. Yeah. Easy. And that, and that, what you said there touched on another another good point that, that you make clearly about, um, you know, this line about your people are your assets, and and, and they're only your assets if they're actually <laughs> helping yes. you to do the yes. right things for your customers, and, exactly. and if they don't care, and if they're not on board, and if they're they're lazy or whatever, then they're not they're not assets. And actually, they're they're the opposite of an asset. Yeah. They're toxic, and um, they become a liability. Yeah. Um, Kevin, I, I've really in, enjoyed this um, this conversation, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I've learned a lot. I thought I would learn a lot, and I have done it, and it's, it's been great. And I just wonder what's so, – so what's next for you? You're, you've, you've, written, you've written three books. You've mm. kind of done everything there is to do in comms, and, and now it's – I mean, you're, you're retired, or you're sort of consulting here and there? What's uh, – what yeah, I like? describe it as semi-retired, although my wife would argue. Um, I still do some consulting work, but for um, now only a few clients. Uh, I do work for some people who um, may present me with a really interesting challenge here and there, but uh, I'm not <laughs> trying to find a great deal more work. I have another book lined up, which I, which I want to write um, about leadership. Um, and and goes to the heart of the subject of how exactly do I get to be more charismatic? What okay. does it mean? Great. Um, and then um, um, as soon as I've got that one written, I want to write my second crime novel, which is plotted out and in my head and dying to get onto paper. Wonderful. And I, I need to read your first uh, crime novel. And I and I and, but I, I, I look forward to the book on on charisma because I. Like you, it's, it's a it's a it's a subject I've I've had questions about, and I and I'm, I'm looking forward to the answers. Kevin, thank you so much for coming on. Coming My great on the podcast. pleasure. It's been great fun. Thank great, you. Great to have this conversation.